Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Hi everyone, this week we're going to switch it up a bit and play for you the audio portion of one of our IEW webinars. Because the webinar itself is over an hour, we're splitting it into two parts, but we'll post both of them this week. And we'll post any links or websites mentioned in this recording at IEW.com slash podcast. Enjoy! Well, good evening. This is uh, Andrew Pudua at the Institute for Excellence in Writing headquarters in eastern Oklahoma, where the sun is a beautiful red about to set at the end of another very long end of summer day. But there is that hint that fall is around the corner and we will not be sweating forever and ever. I see we've got people from all over the country and a couple even from overseas. So that's kind of exciting. This is the first of our monthly webinars that we do over the course of the school year. This is Units 1 and 2 starting strong in September. The goal of this webinar series is to help you teachers out there, homeschooling, classroom, co-op, tutors, wherever you're working, to help you not get stuck, to help you work through all nine units of the syllabus in an appropriate way for the age and aptitude of the students you're teaching. And so we track one unit, approximately one unit per month through the school year, as we suggest you do in the Structure and Style Seminar. Tonight, we are jumping into units one and two of the Teaching Writing Structure and Style program. Some of you have perhaps the old seminar workbook, the kind you see on the left there. Uh, that is on pages five to 14, and then in the Tips and Tricks handout, page one to five in the back. The new uh, second edition, much improved and expanded, covers pages 9 to 30 is units 1 and 2. You probably are familiar, I believe, with the nine structural models of the syllabus, unit 1 and 2, note making and outlines, and then writing from notes. We handle these together. Um, usually they can be done concurrently. We recommend you start in September at the beginning of the school year. Even if this is your second or third year, it's good to start back and review the basic idea, the basic disciplines of keyword outlines and writing from keywords, because that really is foundational to everything else we do. What changes through the units uh, is the way that we get those keywords. So in September, we are using short source texts. You can take keywords from each sentence in the source texts. That's what we'll be doing tonight. But you don't stop there. You move on. In Unit 3, we go through uh, retelling narrative stories. This is where you don't take keywords from each sentence in the story. Instead, you kind of put the story into your brain and pull it out using the story sequence chart. So it looks the same on the paper, but the way of getting those keywords is very different. In November, we'll be talking about 
Unit 4, Summarizing a Reference. This is where you not only have too many sentences and too many facts, but you also have to sort through those facts and choose what's most interesting, important, and relevant, organize it into a paragraph, and we also introduce the topic clincher model there. So we'll be uh, looking at that in November. December, as you've probably noticed, is not a great month for getting things done. So I kind of just bundle together December and January in my mind, figure if you get one good month out of those two, you're ahead of the game. So we'll be talking in December about writing from pictures, which is a weaning step in the process of our syllabus from the dictated content toward the blank page. Then in February, moving on to summarizing multiple references back over on the report research essay side. That's when you not only have too many sentences with too many facts, but you have too many sources. So there's more to sort through, a little bit harder to organize, uh, one increased level of challenge, and kind of that whole um, research process in microcosm. And then in March, we'll hit inventive writing. Now, we originally called this creative writing, but we have, since issuing the new seminar workbook, um, rephrased the term inventive writing for two reasons. One, creative writing is kind of buzzword. It has a lot of kind of baggage attached to it. People have different ideas about what that is. Inventive writing is more about the process of invention, figuring out what to say. And uh, so we address that in Unit 7, and we'll have a webinar in March on that one. Unit 8 are the formal essays, and there are many different essay models, uh, ways to organize shorter and longer and very long compositions if you choose. That's kind of the point where these all come together, where the organizing, collecting, organizing, and presenting information combines then with what you see on the other side is what do you think about things. The ability to think is developed from asking the questions. What are the key elements of the story? How do you uh, think about these pictures and extract content from them and the invention process? So the essay is kind of where those two tracks come together a bit. And then unit nine, the formal critique, that would kind of replace the book report per se and be a way to combine the idea of retelling a story or retelling content and adding in your opinion about that story or that book or that content. So that's how we navigate through the nine units over the course of the school year. If you are new to our syllabus and this is your first year, then we are here to help you in every way possible because we, we don't want you to get stuck. That's the thing uh, that does happen. People understand you know, the unit one and two pretty well and they, they get stuck in unit three or they get to unit four but they hit that pictures and they get stuck there. So we're gonna try to coach you through the year so that doesn't happen. Because we know that if you make it through these units over the course of a school year, your students will, will learn a tremendous amount. Uh, you will be amazed. And the next year, you can work through the nine units again, and everything will go smoother. The students will be familiar. You'll have confidence. You work it through a third year and a fourth year. And I pretty much guarantee if you've got students that work through these nine units over the period uh, of, of three or four years, three or four times over three or four years, it doesn't really even matter what age you start. You could start at 10, you could start at 15, but I pretty much guarantee you'll have students who will write circles around their peers. Those of you who are in your second or third, or, or I saw one woman who said, this is my seventh year. I'm thinking, why are you here? You could probably be doing this webinar. Um, but there's always more to learn, more to refine, and uh, ways to do variations on the units. And that's one of the things that uh, I will be talking about through these units is 
how to uh, vary them or expand them or tweak them to be more interesting to second, third year students. If you're using any of the theme-based writing lessons that we publish, that's going to kind of help you stick along the Unit 9 and not get stuck there either because those lesson plans are, you know, ready-made to go for you. So in Unit 1, just to go over uh, very briefly what we were talking about in the main seminar, hopefully all of you have seen or attended the Teaching Writing Structure and Style Seminar, uh, an older version or a newer one at some point in time. We're kind of assuming you have. If you haven't, uh, don't panic, and certainly you don't have to leave. Uh, just understand that I'm going to go over these uh, review points very, very quickly just to refresh the memory and uh, if you want the expanded explanation and version of it, which I highly recommend, that full seminar. Uh, but what are, our, what are our goals? Well, number one, of course, we want children to develop an ability and refine the ability to choose and then record keywords. Reading a sentence, choosing what are the keywords in the sentence and putting them on the paper. We are teaching a basic outline format. It's simpler than more complex ones that some of you have learned. And I'll point out the reasons for that, but it is indeed an outline format. We also want them to learn to communicate ideas from their own keyword outline, which we will often abbreviate as KWO. And so learning to, uh, at first verbally and then in writing, express those same ideas that they took from the source text. And then eventually to be able to choose source text on their own, create a keyword outline, and retell those basic ideas. Uh, and in Unit 1, we're saying verbally. In Unit 2, we're saying on paper. And of course, we like to start introducing basic public speaking skills here in Unit 1. And we can talk about that a little bit as well. What do you need to do it? Well, you need some short one-paragraph articles or stories that are at or preferably below the reading level of the student. And I say at or preferably below because we want these to go quickly. We want it not to be uh, overwhelming. We don't want the children to feel like they can't remember. It's certainly never a test of their memory, but they can imagine that it is. If you start with something that has unfamiliar words or too long of uh, sentences, then what you'll want to do is use uh, you know, something with shorter sentences and, and more familiar words. You can find little paragraphs like this almost anywhere. Usborn books, DK books, source texts. You know, sometimes they pop in the strangest places. I particularly like uh, Aesop fables. And then also, we're going to suggest that you use a poster or reminder signs. These are something that are distinctive to what we do. We are the blended sound sight people. And so we're always wanting to reinforce visually what we say auditorily and reinforce verbally what we show visually. And if we can get a kinesthetic component in there, then all the better. Posters, we suggest that you make your own. We have little mini samples uh, all throughout the seminar workbook. Or you can print them, which are little PDF files. If you have a color printer, that's even nicer. And you get that with a premium subscription to our website. If you want to purchase pre-printed mini posters, you can buy those from us. And they are uh, mini posters about the size of a, a regular sheet of paper, like a little larger, but about that size. And we have full-size posters that are really for a classroom wall where children would be having to look at it across the room. And those posters, of course, are 
are larger and uh, thicker and more expensive, but we do have them available. So you can check that out depending on your situation. When you get to go about teaching unit one, of course, you always want to begin with a demonstration and group participation. If you uh, ever watch me teach a class of children, you will see how I would do that very first class. If you've got your teaching writing instruction cell DVDs, both the old and the new sets contain demonstration classes, classes of me teaching children in different age groups a first lesson. So if you have never seen me do that, either live or on video, I strongly recommend that you view that. I want to, as much as possible, allow the students to select the keywords. If you have a little group, it's a bit easier because they can you know, kind of raise their hand and, and give a suggestion. I think, you know, a group of three or more works very nicely. If you just have one, it's all he either thought of something or he doesn't. So maybe you have to kick in your ideas as a, as a homeschool mom. But if you've got a few children, usually you get this kind of synergy where one can offer suggestions and then another feels a little braver to do so. You choose one uh, note or one line of one to three keywords from each sentence of the source text. Um, gradually, students begin to select better words over time. And then once you've uh, finished the keyword outline, you would have the students pair off and retell the content from the notes. Or they could kind of go around in a circle, or you take volunteers in a classroom. Again, if you watch my video of students, you'll see uh, how I would do that in a first lesson. And of course, remember, the goal is not for them to repeat the source text verbatim. The goal is for them to reconstruct an idea, the approximation of that same idea. Be sure that they understand that telling it back is not a test of, the, of them. It's not a test of the student. It's a test of the outline to see if it works, to see if the student can use the outline to reconstruct the idea. And even if they do tell it back you know, verbatim, that is not a terrible problem because it is certainly all right for them to do so. If, if they have such a good memory that they can do that, then it probably indicates that they caught on real quickly. Maybe the source text was very easy. They're extremely good uh, memory, and, and you could up the level of challenge a little bit. And uh, of course, we do want to, even in the very beginning, emphasize the importance of speaking incomplete sentences. So the idea is to look at the keywords, think of a sentence that they can make out of those three words that kind of approximates the original, and then say that sentence. If I run into a student who, for some reason, can't do that, I will go so far as to then dictate a sentence to them and have them repeat it back, dictate, repeat back, and just model it very, very tightly. But I have found that I would say a good 90-some percent of native speakers of English, even at six or seven years old, when I teach this, they, they can do that. They can look at the two or three keywords and make a sentence that approximates the original. The uh, sample we have right there in the new seminar workbook is the fox and the grapes. Hungry fox saw a bunch of ripe grapes. They dangled high up on a vine. He jumped and jumped but could not reach them. He said, I'll bet those grapes are sour anyway. And so here you have a, a very simple, short, four-sentence keyword outline. So very, very simple. We could do this demonstration lesson with uh, you know, a, a grade one class, probably. And then you have a little place to put the outline. Some teachers will you know, copy off a, a pre-done thing. But I think, you know, why not just teach the kids to put numbers on paper and do it themselves? You want them to be independent. This is a place 
where I might point out, uh, and, and Jen has asked this question, I noticed in the seminar, Mr. Pudu, I use a Roman numeral followed by numbers for keyword outline, but in our student workbook, it's all standard numbers that we use one over the other. The basic idea there, Jen, is you could go either way when you're dealing with unit one and two, because the idea is that you're, you're using a short source text and you're using one line per sentence. And the standard form of having a Roman numeral with the Arabic kind of just gets the kids used to that idea that the first thing is going to be a Roman numeral, which in unit three becomes kind of the flag that you're in a new part of the story. And in unit four, we attach the idea of topic sentence to the Roman numeral. And in our system, really, the Roman numeral mostly indicates a paragraph. If you only have one paragraph, well, then you don't really need it. So I wouldn't be very stressed about that. I've never met any kids who are stressed. You can do it one way one time, one way the other time, and and then you know explain it when you get a chance. Nobody really has much of a problem. But we, we do have it kind of that standard. The first sentence, whatever it is, gets the Roman numeral, and then everything after gets an Arabic. This particular little fox in the grape story has reading level of below first grade. And so when we do this with a group of kids, we'd say, okay, hungry fox saw a bunch of grapes, choose the keywords. They'd probably pick something like hungry bunch grapes or hungry saw grapes or saw ripe grapes or any three words really would work just fine. And so you can underline them and then you can transfer them into the keyword outline. They dangled high on a up on a vine. With little source text like this, I mean, eliminate all the little words and all you have is keywords left over. He jumped and jumped but could not reach them. Here you might use a symbol like jump times two or times three or however many times you think he jumped. And then uh, kind of a not, like no smoke, no guns, no reaching. He did not reach them. So you can incorporate simple symbols into the keyword outline. And then uh, he said, so we put the quotations, that those grapes are sour anyway. So you get a, a little keyword outline. And then of course the next text is, the next test is to remove the original source text and try to recreate verbally the idea. A hungry fox saw some grapes. They dangled high up on a vine. He jumped several times and could not reach them. He then said the grapes are sour anyway. So you kind of reconstruct that in the simplest way you can. And remember, it's not a test of the memory. If you forget and you think dangled, dangled, I don't know why I wrote dangled, you can go back and read them. The odds are you didn't remember why they wrote dangled. It's probably because they didn't know the word dangled. So you want to be sure to uh, check the vocabulary in the source text so that all students who are reading it know what it is. A few teaching tips for you. Don't assume that older students remember. It is okay to review. I mean, the fact is I've had parents come to the teacher seminar several times and, and gain more insight into unit one and two and the keyword outlining process, uh, even though they'd done something very similar to that before. Source text at or below. I really find that especially if you have reluctant writers, uh, and especially if they're reluctant writer boys, if you can find something that's interesting, you know, something gross or dangerous or disgusting or humorous, this can make a huge difference between the willingness to engage and, and not engage. You see a, a picture there of a blobfish, which is one of the weirdest uh, of the sea creatures. I've got a little source text on that that I use. I've you know, I've never met kids who don't just kind of crack up with this, this blobfish. It's, it's really quite a, a creature, and it has quite an appearance. 
And so then uh, the whole thing, they're more interested, they're likely to remember, they're likely to put a little more effort into the writing part of it. Here's another great one, uh, the hagfish. This uh, is also called the slime eel, and you can see that it has a 18-inch body with special glands that emit a sticky slime. One hagfish can produce up to a gallon of this mucus-like substance at one time. Hagfish protects itself with the slime, which can suffocate other fish by clogging their gills. The hagfish eats by attaching itself to a passing fish like a leech, it then bores its way into its unsuspecting host with a specialized rasping tongue. Once inside, the hagfish will eat its victim's flesh from the inside out. Hagfish is found worldwide, but usually at depths of around 4,000 feet. So you're not going to meet one. But see, you can you can see how immediately that would catch a child's attention. There's the blobfish. This is a, a case where a much higher reading level, and it's got concepts where pressure being several dozen times higher than at sea level, gas bladders inefficient, buoyant, gelatinous mass, density. So while the Fox and the, and the grapes would be perfect for a grade 1-2 student. You want to find something a little more engaging for, say, a middle school student like that. So find those interesting texts. Uh, I like Aesop fables. Honestly, they come in all different flavors and reading levels, and they are usually memorable, so a little easier to use because the facts aren't quite as random. They're more connected with the narrative, and they're short, and nobody objects. You can use Aesop fables with the... Uh, Grade 2 kid, you can use Aesop Fables with a, a grade 10 class. All right, and then don't skip the verbal retelling. And if you need to, read and retell from the keyword outline several times. It is not a case where you need to do it perfectly the first time. Sometimes you can read it, tell it back, go reread, and then retell, and work on that, and maybe even change the keyword outline if you need to so that you understand well enough. Then when you move into Unit 2, then you won't be confused about you know, the content and the writing of it. I would also mention that at this junction that public speaking I consider to be a very important thing. It is, in my view, a leadership skill to be able to stand in front of your peers and speak with confidence. Fall is a great time to begin. Everyone's kind of fresh and it's a new approach and so we want to do it though in an organized way. I'm not a huge fan of having kids stand up and read their own papers. I actually, if, if I have a class of students, I tend to read the paper that they wrote out loud for a few reasons. Number one, I can read it better than they can. I can read it louder usually than they can. I can pace it and I want them to actually hear their own story being read well. And then lastly, I can stop and comment on something publicly that is particularly good about something they did. So they might have used an advanced technique by accident, or they had a particularly nice combination of words or created an image. I can stop and say, hey, guys, listen to that. Do you hear that? Let me read that again. That was great. And so I can affirm and note things and give a better rendition. Uh, so I'm, I'm not suggesting that you have students read their own paper to the group. What I am suggesting is that you can have them speak from keyword outlines. If you have a, a classroom, if you're teaching in a school, that's wonderful because you've got a built-in audience. Those kids are there every day and you schedule them out and they have the day and time and the outline and they're going to stand up and 
and do the public speaking. If you're not having a, a school, then you can work it into a co-op, you can work it uh, into a group of families, but you do want to try to make it consistent. Short speeches are fine. It could be a one-minute retelling of an Aesop fable from a keyword outline. That's completely all right. And the idea is that you would be practicing then the telling back from the content with the keyword outline. And if you have a class and you've got people doing the same keyword outline, it's okay. They can all do it. You know, you can have several students tell the same idea from their their basically their same set of notes. Uh, children aren't as allergic to repetition as, as we are. You probably noticed that. It's particularly useful for comprehension, this telling it back. English language learners, struggling readers or writers, it's really very, very valuable. And the rules that I talk about in the seminar, of course, I don't have time to go over everything, but basically you look at those keywords and think of the sentence you're going to say, but then you have to look up from the paper and speak to the people, not the paper. So you look up from the paper and say the sentence you thought of. The, the rule is you, you can't look while your eyes are on the paper. So they look, think, look up, remember, speak, and then look at the next line of keywords. This is just phenomenal training. When you, if you do this with kids, I'd be curious to know is anyone out there who's done this with kids that could quickly share a little bit of their experience. Because when I do it with kids, I see... It's almost like x-ray vision. You, you can see them just kind of forcing those neurons to make connections with their, with their uh, will almost. It's, uh, it's really quite something. And it, what a great skill it is. You know? And if it's something you learn to do to speak to people and not to paper, then later if you do something like debate or mock trial or... 4-H or something where you're needing to speak from notes in a professional type of setting, you already have that aptitude. You refine it. And then, of course, if you go into the real world, the skilled presentations are the ones where the people are able to connect with the audience while using notes out of necessity, but not being overly dependent on looking at those notes. So if you want to review that section on the DVDs, I go into a lot more detail. And then there's also the section of Dr. Webster's book, Structure and Style and Composition. And he's got a lot more written on the subject of public speaking in the class. We do have to stop here because we're out of time for today. But because we don't want to leave you hanging too long, we'll go ahead and post the rest of the content later this week. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. <laughs>